Hello and welcome back to Mystical Sisterhood. This is Maureen Spielman and I'm here today with Jana Wilson. Jana is an emotional healing educator and founder of the Emotional Healing System. She's also a meditation teacher, leads retreats, is a hypnotherapist, and so many other just skill sets that she brings to her clients. She is the author of Wise Little One, a book about healing your inner child that's just beautiful and I couldn't recommend more. I want to add just a content warning for today. In this episode, Jana publicly shares her story of childhood trauma, which included both physical and emotional abuse. It may contain information that is upsetting to the listener. With that, let's just get into the episode and I can't wait to hear your takeaways. Hey there, welcome to Mystical Sisterhood. This is your host, Maureen Spielman. I started this show to highlight the intuitives, healers, and other courageous women that I've met along my journey and continue to meet. Through amazing interviews, I seek to ask insightful questions to uncover ways in which you, the listener, can apply the wisdom and knowledge to your own life. I believe that we're all in this together, so sharing healing and joy and bringing community together is both my passion and purpose. If you'd like to learn more about the Mystical Sisterhood community I'm building, please visit www.mysticalsisterhood.com. See you in the episode. Welcome back to Mystical Sisterhood. This is your host, Maureen Spielman. And today I'm sitting down with Jana Wilson. And um, I told you more about her in the brief intro, but a big welcome to you today. Um, Jana came to me when her book, uh, wise little one learning to love and listen to my inner child was brought to my attention. And I have studied inner child in my soul care coaching. And I, I did not have an episode on it yet, Jana. And so I know that there's a lot to share here today about your journey, but, um, I think inner child's going to be, um, sort of a focal point and some listeners are going to have a background with what is the inner child and some will not. So um, I just first and foremost want to say a big thank you and welcome for being here. Thank you so much, Maureen, for having me. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I always say about mystical sisterhood that the interviews are with intuitives, healers, and other courageous women. And it sounds like you check a lot of those boxes <laughs> and, you know, we can start anywhere today, but, um, you know, maybe a good opening point is how did you even come to write this book? Wise little one. Well, it's, it certainly, you know, took a long time to even have the courage. I had the idea about probably around when I was around 27, 28, I started to think like, I would love to, I was a voracious reader. I would love to write a memoir. And there were so many memoirs that had touched me. One in particular was The Glass Castle by um, Jeanette Walls. And any memoirs that I read of people overcoming trauma, I certainly had my share of it as a child. And it's what, you know, got me on this path. I'm 50, going to be 58 years old in a couple of months, 58 years young, (laughs) fighting it all the way. So, and, and, you know, staying in touch with the inner child keeps you young because the inner child lives, you know, children live in a sense of wonder. And so 
people are like, how do you look so good? I'm like, well, I've got a little child that I nurture all the time. (laughs) I love that. It's so true. And, um, Thanks for sharing that for the, from the journey of the point when you, when the idea was seeded for the book in your Mm twenties. But um, I know that, you know, when I read wise little one and just about your background that you had gone through trauma when you were young and and so much of um, that experience, however unfolds for an individual is confusing to the young child and very hard to make sense of. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, had you felt those ways in your life or, you know, just knowing that, um, there was some out of alignment, even when you were a young girl. Yeah, I did. I mean, their adverse childhood experience, there's a test and there's 10 questions and I answer yes to all 10. So I was diagnosed with CPTSD, which is complex post-traumatic. It's, you know, when you're just daily being, you know, onslaught of trauma, I lived in a war zone to, you know, my parents, my mother had mental illness. My dad was an alcoholic and a womanizer. He was very violent. Um, and so I went through a lot, but the gift of it was at a fairly young age because I had these two emotionally unintelligent, chaotic parents I began to find an inner resource because I couldn't go to them for safety and security. So I really developed a strong connection to spirit. I grew up in the South and the Bible Belt. So, you know, we went to church a lot and or I'd get on a a church bus, you know, Sunday school bus and go to church. Not that my parents went, but and it was important to me. And I developed a really strong uh, spiritual practice really even as a child you know being in nature um listening being quiet i was an introvert i read a lot of books pippi longstocking i loved adventure books and i loved climbing trees i had one big brother and he was my protector he took the brunt of my dad's violence and so when you know i knew i started writing the book like i said in my late 20s And I just had a file on my computer that I just kept and kept adding to it. And then um, in 2012, I ended my marriage with my ex-husband and I went through a really dark night of the soul for a few years and I revisited inner child work and I found a teacher. And because I'd done some in the 90s with John Bradshaw, you familiar with him? He wrote, I'm not. No. So John was a PhD from Houston and he did a lot of PBS specials and, you know, where they're gaining, you know, getting money and donations. And he would come on and talk about shame and family of origin. And he introduced inner child. And I'd never heard this. So I'm in my early twenties. I'm a single mom, you know, really struggling in survival still, but but real very aware I wanted to break the cycle for my daughter. So getting pregnant at a young age at 22 woke me up to saying, okay, I don't want to repeat what my parents did. And that's pretty much what I was doing. You know, I was just repeating, you know, all the conditioning. And so that set me on a path of, I found Unity Church. I, I left traditional um, fundamentalist Christianity it wasn't working for me anymore. I felt the legalism and the dogma was very constrictive and 
And, and so I found a path and I started to learn about false beliefs at Unity Church. I learned how to meditate. I started reading like Marianne Williamson's book, um, Return to Love. I started going to Course in Miracle classes. I started studying metaphysics, spirituality. And then I met my teacher, Dr. Brian Weiss. He had read, uh, written Many Lives, Many Masters. And that book was it. It woke me up. My soul, you know, we don't know. We live in a mysterious universe, Maureen. But when I read that book and, you know, it gave me this question. And you and I both know as coaches, the quality of our life depends on the questions we're asking ourselves. Mm. And this question was, what if... I love what if questions. What if I, my soul chose those parents and it was actually by choice that I went through all that trauma and I wasn't really a victim of it. I was actually a creator of it. And at that time, I didn't really understand karma and stuff, but just that question helped me look at myself in an empowered way. I no longer was a victim of being called white trash and being poor and a single mom being labeled a whore because I didn't value myself. All of a sudden I, I saw myself kind of like a badass, you know, I was like, wow, <laughs> I must be a pretty grand soul to have chose this. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, right there. I mean, I find it fascinating to listen to your story and people's stories because when we listen to someone's stories, we can see the um, searching for the light mm-hmm. and that you knew that from a young age, like even in your teens or what what created, uh, you know, you resonated with that playful sense or, um, you know, as you went through what, you know, what what your beginning truths were. But you were there's part of us on this soul's journey that feels like there you went through so so much and thank you for sharing that and just holding that for you um and and you were pulled towards the light and it was like okay we're going to find the exact right ways that match you and what you need and man did it start coming to you in terms of just like it feels like try this read that expose yourself and i've never heard of um the man you just said that was on PBS. I've never heard of him, but to think that in the nineties that this was being Mm -hmm. seeded out there because we tend to think Mm -hmm. it's really new stuff, but how beautiful that that was being offered on public television. Actually, that was the late eighties, late eighties. Yeah. Yeah. My daughter was born in 88. So this is probably around 89. It's amazing. Yeah. And yeah, I was very serious though. You know, I, I, there was nothing more important to me, Maureen, than healing Mm -hmm. and connecting to spirit. Because even in my early twenties, going back and living with my mom, Mm -hmm. after going away to school, I was the first in my family to finish high school, much less go to college. And, you know, now I'm back at home with my mom and I have a baby and I've got to confront my mom on things that happen. And if you backtrack 10 years from that point, that was when I had the spiritual awakening where I start with a prologue of the book. I'm 12 years old. My dad's beating my mom. I'm run outside. My brother's not there. I'm praying to God to save me. And I'm pulled out of my body. And I have an out-of-body experience where spirit tells me, those are not your parents. I am. And that is not your life. This is. 
And when I looked kind of around, like, where am I? It was like I was in part of the cosmos. And this peace that passes all understanding flooded my body. And I just, I was back in my body. And then I knew everything changed. It gave me my voice up until then. I was just a nervous wreck. I, my shoulders were up to my ears and I rang my hands all the time. And I would have been diagnosed with attention deficit disorder or hyperactivity. I, I was a mess, but after that, no more, I began, I call it my dragon slayer got birthed. Mm -hmm. So it was the part of me that was very strong that could stand up to my mom and father Mm -hmm. and speak truth and, and call them out on what they were doing. And I, I, for the first time I got hit by my dad when I did that at 12, Mm -hmm. but that was the only time. And when he hit me, that was enough for my mom up until that point, she kept letting him come back. But once he hit me, it was like something switched for her. Yeah. You know, it was okay for him to hit her and my brother, but once he hit me, something switched. So everything changed from that point, that spiritual awakening, I believe is what led me to be the teacher I am today. It's like, Mm -hmm. It seated in me like something that was thirsty. And I knew someone out there knew. I believe it's some remembrance from like remembrance from past life that I, my soul came here to do this work. I've got to get, you know, probably having my daughter was the catalyst because I could do for her what I wasn't doing for myself, mm-hmm. which was to provide stability, yeah. you know, start the healing work, find a therapist you know, really start on the journey. Oh yeah. Because it felt, it feels like it was so much of a solo journey before then, like you had your brother and maybe your mom in certain senses, but just like we can feel so alone. So that when we begin to um, pull in like, okay, what can support me here? And it sounds like in the beginning, it was your own practices that did that. I think it was my grandmother. I certainly talk about her a lot. She was my resource um, for stability and safety. She was the one there for me. My mom, because she struggled with mental illness, you know, the only time that she was really stable, interestingly enough, was when she came out of the mental institutions that she would get, you know, she would, she would be put in an institution because she would attempt suicide. She would slit her wrist and I would find her as a child. And I would tell her when I grow up, mommy, I'll take care of you. Mm -hmm. And so I was being, you know, I was the parent, right. I was parenting her. Yeah. So it was a lot, um, you know, of, of heaviness for a little girl. So once I got on this path, the inner child work, helped me find my innocence, my, my, you know, levity, my Mm -hmm. lightness of being, you know, where I could connect back to that and also parent my daughter, not so seriously, have fun, be silly. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, that intentionality that was growing from within you to offer something different to your daughter. You just knew that, that you did not want to repeat those patterns. I hear that. Um, like, so when you started to become interested in inner child work, you had heard about it, you had kind of, you know, it was in your listenings or your readings, but when did it become really, um, a factor in your life for, uh, a way to relate to your experiences? And, you know, I guess even a backup question to that is, you know, how do you define inner child just to begin there? 
Yeah. So the inner child is our feeling self. So when we're little birth to seven, that's the developmental years that we're conditioned. And so during that time, it's fair to say that the lens we view life through is through emotion. Now, some people become emotional addicts. So even as adults, they still view, you know, they're adult children. We see that with road rage or drama queens or, you know, people who are addicted to emotion. And and at some level, I think we all are, you know, at some point to some, it's just some default mechanism that it, we're afraid. So instead of feeling the fear, we go to anger. You know, there's all different. We have to really meet ourselves in a deep way mm-hmm. to stay on top of that. Um, but yeah, the inner child is our feeling self. And so for me, and I talk about this in the book was, you know, when mom was pregnant with me, so that was precognitive trauma, preconscious trauma. So they say before the age of two that we have no memory, but we're sentient beings, we're feelers. So here I am in my mother's womb, she's being beaten. She's clinically depressed. She's probably taking Valium. She's, you know, I'm taking a steady diet as I'm growing a fetus of cortisol and all, you know, noradrenaline, all the chemicals of stress. And um, I'm born into this world that way. I was born breech with a cord wrapped around. When I did my hypnotherapy training, I saw that I did that. Mm -hmm. That as, you know, um, I didn't want to be born, you know, who would want to be born into what I was going to be born in hearing screaming and wailing and being punched. And so, so, yeah. So even then I feel like your nervous system is already on high alert. You're saying from that, that release of the cortisol and the adrenaline and yeah, thanks for, you know, just pointing that out that that can occur within the womb too. Yeah, we see it with drug addicts. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. a mother who's on drugs, we're, oh, yeah, or alcohol or yeah. fetal, you know, alcohol syndrome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for me, it was it it settled in my gut. Mm-hmm. And so as a child, I had a lot of, you know, GI problems and, yeah. you know, irritable bowel as I grew up. And, you know, I still deal with keeping my gut, my gut biome healthy and, um, you know, the body keeps score. So all that trauma gets held in our body. And even at my age, you know, I still have layers of healing, right? We don't arrive somewhere healed. And, but inner child work, the teacher that I took on, she taught reparenting. And she said, if you have an intention, and as you know, intentions are most important given any situation, when we're very intentional about what we're doing, we'll manifest it right? Because it's energy. And so if we have an intent to be a loving adult to ourselves, and, and to really have compassion that that little girl in me, that sweet, precious little brown eyed girl, she suffered a lot. And, and then I just kind of picked up where my parents left off and I didn't value her. I gave her away to men. I was raped in college. I, you know, was promiscuous after that. It's like, well, that's what happens to girls like me. I'm bad. You know, I, mm-hmm. I didn't value myself. And so inner child work changed my life because I was able to see my pure and innocence that I am good, that I am lovable, yeah. that, you know, that there were things that happened to me, mm-hmm. but, you know, they really happened for me, for me to grow and right. learn how to value myself and be a yeah. loving parent to myself. Oh, it's such a beautiful kind of um, 
I don't know, progression and embracing you had of, of the possibility that there could be another way and that hopefulness that was in you and then beginning to access the tools. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. So it's the reparenting and going back. I've heard it called remothering and going back and giving these reparative experiences to this young part of you. And um, I don't know, do you want to add something to that? Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't just say remothering because I also didn't have a good father. And so yeah. I didn't feel protected. Yeah. So in reparenting, we're, we're, you know, really taking both roles of mother and father yeah. and saying, you know, because the father say that's the protector, that wise part that, you know, isn't prey. Like once I learned how to reparent myself, I had an energy field around me that I would have, I was not prey to any man or anything. I mean, if anything, you know, I had a tough girl, like, you mm-hmm. know, I would make, you know, I'd probably be called bitch over anything. <laughs> right. Because right. I was like, yeah. So of course that has to be balanced. I don't want to get rid of myself okay. of that part of myself. When I met Debbie Ford, my teacher and who I trained with in shadow work, she said, you know, she came out on stage and I'm at a spiritual conference and for Hay House down in Miami. This is like 2003. She's like, hi, I'm Debbie Ford and I'm a bitch. And I was like, oh, I looked at my girlfriend and I said, well, I, I, I am too. I'm trying to get rid of that part of myself. <laughs> yes. Well, and it's funny you should say that because um, I just recently, about three or four months ago, read her book, The Dark Side of the Light Chasers, I think mm-hmm. it's called. And and um, because my studies hadn't been in, you know, shadow work. And I don't know how much you use that in your um, your own coaching, but I find it, I found it very valuable for the parts of me that I was hiding away and got hidden away when I was really young. And they were, I think someone suggested shadow to me many, many years ago when I was in a circle. And if she's listening, she'll know who she was. And I, again, like I had no way I'm like shadow, you know, you know, I'm naming the most or the least vulnerable things, right. As my mm-hmm. shadow, because I couldn't go there yet, but um, Yeah. Yeah. So that's a main part of the emotional healing system that I founded because that's, I have my master's, you know, in, in shadow work with Debbie at JFK university, integral psychology. Mm-hmm. And as a yogi also, you know, these were being taught 5,000 years ago in the Vedas. Yeah. There's a, a term called Tatvam Asi. I see the other in myself and myself in the other. Mm-hmm. So all Carl Jung, the Swiss psychologist who coined shadow was teaching us is that other people mirror what we can't see in ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's the mirror of relationship. And so Debbie, you know, I think helps simplify it in the four Mm -hmm. steps. And her steps were when you're triggered, you're either affected or informed. If you're affected, it means there's an emotional trigger. It could be positive. You know, a lot of our shadows that are harder to embrace are the light ones. Yeah. <laughs> right. We right. Uh, like for me, pure and innocent. Oh, I can't embrace that. Like I'm dirty and, you mm-hmm. know, disgusting and damaged. And I've been, you know, I've been raped and, you know, ugly. I've done ugly things. And it was very hard for me to accept my purity and my innocence. Oh, wow. Such a good example of that. Thank you. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. And so when you you're either affected or informed, if you're informed, it's just information. You and I have lunch. The waiter is careless, 
forgets things. Maybe you have a core shadow wound of I'm invisible. And then him not, you know, tending to you triggers you that wound of I'm invisible. So there's a disproportionate reaction to the seemingly, you know, benign, innocent encounter with a, a waiter. But for you, it it picked a wound mm-hmm. that you've been carrying your whole life of I'm invisible. Absolutely. Right? Yes. And yeah. I'm sitting there going, why is she getting so upset about this? Like, who cares? The guy's in the weeds or, you know, like, <laughs> right. You've seen those situations where we're experiencing the same thing and someone else will have a reaction and you're kind of that mm-hmm. shadow. Right. And so it's, mm-hmm. they're mirroring something. So the first step is what kind of person would do that? Well, somebody who's unconscious maybe, but really if you turn it on yourself, it's I'm invisible. He's mirroring to me. I'm not seen. Absolutely. And so then yeah. you own it. I mm-hmm. see that I, I don't speak up. I don't advocate for myself. I play the role of invisible a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And then and you, that, well, yeah, I was going to say that mirror, that awareness and that, um, again, the willingness to go there because mm-hmm. at first that can feel very serious to a person, right? Like, whoa, whoa, that might be offensive even to yourself to consider that you might be things that, um, you're disowning, let's say, but, um, you know, just over time, I've learned to become much lighter with myself. Like it's, it's, um, you know, you can watch yourself, um, have reactions to things and they just, the more you go back and do the reparenting, they begin to diffuse and just kind of lose their charge, that emotional charge. I mean, saying, you know, in, in what you're saying about, you know, it might, feel confrontational with somebody or listen, the highest form of Krishnamurti said this, the highest form of human intelligence is self-inquiry without Mm -hmm. judgment. Mm -hmm. So if someone can't look within and take responsibility, they're not ready to do deeper healing work Yeah, because the first step is saying, I am responsible for my life. I am not a victim. Yeah. Right. It's I'm 100% responsible for the results I'm creating for my emotional state. Mm -hmm. I never ever. I mean, when I work with people, clients, you know, I tell them, once you understand this work, you'll never say you made me feel Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because other people, yes, they can hurt you. Yes, they can. They can say mean things, be intentionally mean. And that's heartbreak and heartache. But as long as you don't create a story. You won't suffer because we're helpless over others. So, you know, the shadow work is a great place to enter into the inner child work. So in what I would teach is you identify it. Like I said, you own it. I am that maybe I've been that way in the past, present, future, or I'm that way to myself. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the second is embrace it. Embracing it's where we step into inner child work. Now, Debbie didn't teach it this way. So this was an evolution of my own journey and my own process. She taught subpersonality work. And that was very convoluted to me. It felt like, my God, I have like 50 different personalities. There's (laughs) bitchy Bertha and condescending Connie. And, you know, I, I threw away that at teaching. I don't teach that. I just say, relate with it like a child. Mm -hmm. Right. There's a there's a reason why this little six year old part of you is being condescending Mm -hmm. or being, you know, or and connect with that part of you. Listen to them. And then I teach a a four step process of how to reparent the child. Yeah, it's so beautiful. It's such a 
and, and do you in your work and with your clients, um, depending on whatever their painful place is coming, then bringing them back into like in a meditation or um, how is it that they access the, in, their inner child? That's a great question. So the first step is um, you set an intention to understand the feeling. So that's step one. So, okay, I'm feeling, say, anxious, we'll use. Okay, I'm feeling anxious. Where do I feel it in my body? I'll kind of tune into my body. My stomach's getting upset. Maybe I'll place my hand on my stomach. I'll close my eyes. And then this is psycho-spirituality. I'll connect to spirit. Father, Mother, God, please come in and help me deal with this emotion of anxiety. I need your support. Healthy, loving adults are emissaries to the divine. They're connectors. They're ambassadors. When we're a healthy, loving adult, we realize we can't do it alone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's spirit doing it through us. We are the vessel, as you said at the beginning of the call. And so we connect with spirit. We have an intention. I want to understand my feelings. Then I imagine little Jana steps in and I say, step two. So how are you feeling? I'm feeling anxious. Well, what am I saying or doing to you that's causing you to feel anxious or what's happening outside of us that's reminding you of something that's causing you to be anxious? I love that. Okay. So you're linking the present day reaction or trigger to that little girl and how she feels at that moment. Right. Or it could be something I'm repeating to her, like, say, I'm worried about money. Maybe my mind's been really fixated on, you know, worry and fear. So she's feeling anxious. Then all right. of a sudden I'm feeling anxious and I'm like, what, what's going on? Why am I anxious? And she's like, well, you're telling me we're not going to have enough money. You're mm-hmm. telling me, you know, say I'm single, that I'm never going to meet anybody and we're going to be alone forever. And then she's feeling anxious. And then if you're not tapped into that, you're the one creating that. You mm-hmm. go to the doctor and they give you Lexapro or Xanax or, you know, go take a pill Mm-hmm. instead of really being with emotion or you drink or you shop or you yeah. do something right to check out. Yeah. And it's that softness and that compassion and that everything that, you know, a little one deserves, they're yeah. so worthy of, and, you know, it can get off track for so many parents bringing up their kids and that that's all that child wants and needs along with the guidance. And so how beautiful, I think it's, such a beautiful offering to to allow yourself to believe that that re- reparenting but then to truly experience it begins to um that compassion just goes within and has that healing quality to it how do you describe that yeah it's a bond it's a love the night before i met my husband my present husband lance i talk about in the book and i start the book really in 2015 the day before i met him i was at a retreat a meditation retreat in california and i just kept getting out we were meditating maybe six hours a day when i would come out of meditation i would hear leave and i fought it for you know the first day and a half And finally, I listened and left. I was, you know, fighting like I've spent a lot of money. I don't want to leave. Why? You know, I'm enjoying this. And finally, I left and I went to have dinner that night. I was in Carmel, California, and I went to have dinner. And it was like I saw little Jana across the table. I was looking around the restaurant. You know, I'm 49 years old. Of course, I was internally terrorizing myself. I'm going to be alone like my mother and all these people. What do they have that I don't have? 
Now, if I say that my emotional self, little Jana's listening and she's like, oh God, we're going to be alone. Nobody loves us. Like, so I immediately felt it because I'd been mm-hmm. meditating so much. I was very aware. So I immediately brought my attention back into the present. And it was like, I saw her Maureen sitting across the table. Yeah. It was the most beautiful experience. And it was, and it was like, she wanted to show me something. And all of a sudden I felt like I was in her body watching my life, like a flash of my whole life. And she showed me like, look where we, where we came from and where we are today. And I'm so proud of you. And I love you so much. And look at the life you've given me and so much love for myself poured through me in that moment. And I just, there's no love greater. I mean, I want, I feel like a Whitney Houston, you know, the greatest <laughs> love of all is happening to me, but it, it, it is the greatest love because yeah. when you truly can see all that you've been through and have compassion for yourself and, and forgiveness for yourself, for the choices you made out of times when you were hurt or, you know, yeah. And, you just, there's a bond that gets created that no one can break. You go out in the world and you always feel at home. Yeah. I love it because I've seen on my own journey too, that my mind used to, before I got into this kind of work, I mean, even a few years ago, my mind would ruminate on things that had occurred in my past. And it just, I think they had shame attached to them and they they would try to, you know, take over my mind in sort of old ways of being hard on myself. I like how you just said the inner terrorizing. I mean, for real. And I think that's really relatable for people. Um, and through that younger that that because it's all we're all one, right? Our inner child, who we are presently, who we are in the future, this is all one. So when we can give that compassion, all of us receives it. Um, which is such a, well, that would be the wounded child. When you're, when, when we're listening to a voice, that inner critic, yeah, the ego easing God out, right. Mm -hmm. Um, that is the part of us that was just conditioned, you know, after our caregivers and after, you know, during the, and we pick up where they leave off. If we had parents who didn't see or hear us more than likely, our work is going to be learning how to see and hear ourselves Mm -hmm. We're and stop looking for acknowledgement from the outer world and give it to ourselves. Yeah. Um, two thoughts are coming to mind. One, the restaurant in Carmel, California, I feel like that that could just be like a painting. Have you ever had that image painted of Ooh. you and your little girl sitting at the table? Oh, I so love beautiful. that. I just got goosebumps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that for you. And then um, the other thing is that this, this, what you're talking about and having these um, reparenting and these new experiences for mm-hmm. your clients, are you, are you seeing uh, people of all ages come in to access this? Like there's no entry point that's too young or too old. I just speak to that because I want people to know how accessible it is and how transformative it can be no matter where you are in your life. Yeah, absolutely. I have clients in their early twenties to, you know, in their seventies. Um, we just led a retreat, my husband and I in Florida, a group retreat. It's called the emotional healing experience. It's a five day retreat immersion and, you know, we had a lady, a young lady there in her seventies mm-hmm. and we had a few in their twenties 
And, you know, so this is, accept- I mean, there's, it's never too late to have a happy childhood. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I love it. How often do you run your retreats? We do the five days twice a year, usually okay. in the spring and fall. And then we do two, three day kind of like a primer Yeah, you know, for the five day. Mm, yeah, it, I'm sure it's uh, a hugely transformative experience for those and yourself. It has to be leading. Oh, I love it. I love right. doing the work. I, I have a retreat center here in Santa Fe. It's a 2,600 square foot yoga studio, three bedroom clients. When they come here, that's where they stay. I have one arriving Sunday and I'll work with him for five or six days. They usually stay about a week. Mm-hmm. And um, I usually primary, my husband's kind of secondary. He'll come in, especially if people, he's a physician, if they're on meds and they're wanting to get off of it. He yeah. teaches a lot of neuroplasticity and epigenetics. And mm-hmm. so it really is a nice compliment because everything we're teaching in the emotional healing system has its roots, some in metaphysics and spirituality and some in science. So it's mm-hmm. a nice dance, a balance between the two. Yeah. I had a question from a coaching perspective. There's a lot of, um, I've trained with a lot of coaches and a lot of coaches I know listen into the podcast but what have you found beneficial for your clients in terms of, um, I feel like in a more traditional therapy, um, a therapist may not name exactly what they're doing per se, um, just really creating a um, um, like container of safety and uh, a space for anything to be held, confidentiality, of course. But like, do you name shadow work? Do you name um, inner child so they can also have like, almost like a mind attachment to what they're doing, or do you just like to go into the work and let them more experience it? No, it's very educational. So I consider myself a emotional healing teacher, educator. Mm -hmm. So I, when, if someone's calling and they want to know, like, what does it entail? I tell them, think of it as classroom, you're learning and then experiencing because experience, experience without knowledge or knowledge without experience really is ignorance because you need the experience. Well, you know, I, my, one of my last clients actually that came to the group and did a private with me was a a psychiatrist Mm -hmm. and a lot of even psychotherapists, PhD psychologists who come here, we work with a lot of clinicians. We have a healing, the healer. It's the same content that we do with private, but you know, we give them CMEs and (laughs) they, you know, um, They say, I didn't learn this in school. I didn't learn how to teach shadow work like this. I didn't learn how to simplify. They are not taught to teach. They are taught to listen for 50 minutes and it's not enough time. So to answer your question, you know, they get a 62 page workbook when they come, whether it's group or private and everything is sequential. So we start from, you know, the foundation, which is self-awareness which is meditation, you know, all the spiritual practices. Then we move into really understanding the psyche through psychosynthesis, teaching parts therapy, doing shadow work, doing mirroring, negative, dark and light. So there's Mm -hmm. a lot of experience. We, and then we go into the repairing. We do breath work. Um, 
It's a, you know, in private work, we have equine therapists come, shamans come. I mean, we, it's a really rich, think of if you were at a place in your life and you really wanted massive change and you wanted to go somewhere and get the most, mm. right? Like leave unrecognizable to yourself. It is a deep dive intensive. It's yeah. for most people. And, and we do interviews really complete because it takes a fair amount of, IQ too, to do this work, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's, um, and discipline. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, people look for the quick fix, you know, you know, it's like, absolutely. They just want to be fixed and it takes work, you know? Yeah. Happiness is our birthright, but we have to work for it. Yeah, it's true. And we have to know it's possible. I think, um, uh, you're sharing because I didn't know of how you do your work and out in New Mexico. It's so beautiful and it's very unique. You know, I haven't interviewed anyone who's offering, you know, week long sort of, um, experiences, but it's very true that, um, I feel like it must be that when people come to you, if they have forgotten their light, if they are not remembering it, that, it is that reigniting and the, the lighting the flame and knowing that it exists and and to bring that life back, that life force and the energy and and thanks for sharing too your process. I I myself I I love the education part of things because it's mm-hmm. what's helped me heal as I've learned about these things and um it's just it's just really beautiful work. I need yeah. to plug in my computer real quick. Sure. So Jana, I don't know what I've left out today. If, um, as we kind of round out the interview, if there's anything coming to mind that's that you want the listeners to know before you tell them where to find you. Well, I think, you know, if I could leave one nugget of wisdom for the listeners that I feel like is, is if you're on a healing journey, more important than anything is connecting is spiritual hygiene, right? So my, one of my teachers at the Chopra Center, David G, he called it RPM. And RPM means rise, pee, meditate. <laughs> mm-hmm. And a lot of people have, you know, that especially that aren't meditators, obviously, or that have tried, listened to, you know, guided meditation or something. They say they can't meditate or they believe the point of the practice is to quiet the mind. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's a myth. Actually, the point of meditating is to be aware of when you're lost in thought. Oh. Mm-hmm. Because if you're aware, awareness is the greatest agent for change. So if you're aware that you're lost in thought, then that becomes a superpower because you have free will. Mm-hmm. Most people think, oh, I have free will. The creator endowed me with free will. But if you're a bundle of reactions from the past, you're just conditioning, you know, reactionary response. When you meditate every morning before you do anything, it sets a tone for the day for you to go about your day. The meditation may be turbulent. You know, the thoughts might be coming and going the whole time, but you do it. You discipline yourself to sit there in stillness, in silence And, you know, I teach mantra base for someone listening that's never meditated. A great mantra is so hum. Mm -hmm. So you just keep introducing so hum. It means I am Mm -hmm. into your thought process while you're sitting there. And anytime the mind gets lost in thought, you just keep coming back to so hum. You learn to surf 
thoughts, right? They rise, they collapse, they rise, they collapse. That's a superpower because now as you go about your day, you're going to catch yourself washing dishes, talking to your spouse, not listening somewhere else. And then you're back online. Yeah. So you keep going offline, online, and you get stronger, you build that muscle. Mm -hmm. And the more online you are, the more present you are for your life, the more intentional you can be. Yeah. More happy you are, you know, because it's more important than anything. It's the foundation of this emotional healing system that I've, you know, I put together. I definitely didn't create. Yeah. Beautiful though. It's a beautiful um, alchemy of different uh, ways of being with ourselves. And that's a great tip that you just gave. If um, someone were maybe at the beginning of a current road, they were traveling and I don't know. I'm thinking of like one knew that they needed some support, but weren't to the point where they were ready to ask for it. Is there anything that you would say to them or um, anything that you would offer? Yeah. I mean, we get clear about what we want in life through contrast. So I always ask people, how do we know it's daylight? And they'll say, cause the sun's out. And I'm like, no, actually, you know, it's daylight cause you've experienced darkness. And so If you're in a dark place in your life or you're experiencing anything that you don't want, you know, don't curse yourself. Don't feel like, woe is me. Don't feel like, you know, the universe doesn't have your back and everything's against you. It's just happening to help you go to your next level. Mm -hmm. So what I would say is, yeah, you're, you know, once you get sick and tired of being sick and tired or, Mm -hmm. you know, the definition of sanity, keep doing the same thing, expecting different results. At some point, there's a choice. And you say, I know I got to do something different. Yeah. 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 We're afraid of the unknown. You know, humans don't like the unknown. Right. And it's, it's a thing that scares us the most. It's why death scares people so much because it's the great unknown. But if we can learn to fall in love with the unknown, mm-hmm. realize that that's where we create because the known is the past. It's the prison. It's already happened. Yeah. So if we don't want to keep perpetuating more of that, we've got to do something different. And you and I, people like us are offering people a path to do something different, to rewire their brain. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, there's just more and more. And that's why I, I thank you so deeply for coming on and sharing your message. I think today was a beautiful weaving of your story across time and how you started from that point of when you became empowered to all the different parts of your path to what you've created in the present. And we don't even know what's in the future. And that's a beautiful thing. (laughs) Thank you. So yeah, Jana, where can uh, the listeners find your work? Well, I'm at JanaWilson.com is the book website and our retreats are EmotionalHealingRetreats.com. Okay, beautiful. I will share the links in the show note and anything else you want to add. But thanks for your generous heart, spirit, and just your your stories you're sharing with our audience today. They're very, very powerful. Thank you so much, Maureen. It was a pleasure being here with you. Yeah, you too. And thanks, as always, to the Mystical Sisterhood audience. Uh, Thank you for listening to this interview with Jana today. I hope you got a lot from it. And please share with anyone you think would benefit. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mystical Sisterhood. If you love what you heard, please visit Apple Podcasts and subscribe and leave a review and share with a friend if you're called to do so. 
To learn more about my one-on-one coaching programs or join the Mystical Sisterhood membership, visit MaureenSpielman.com or MysticalSisterhood.com. Thanks so much. I'll see you in the next episode.